and you wonder why I let my life do a die, ducking the gunfire, avoiding the chalk lines. I dare you try to mark mines. Brandon Duncan is better known as a rapper Tiny Do. Born and raised in Southeast San Diego. A little on the tougher side. Gangs, you know what I mean? Uh, grew up involved in pretty much all that. It's just regular from where I come from. But instead of losing himself to the streets, Tiny Do turned his experiences into music. I started rapping when I was around 17, 18 years old. I love the fact that somebody rapping, writing words on a piece of paper, took people out of a terrible situation and created billion dollar companies. One of my close friends, we kind of had gotten to a little rap beef. I remember listening to his track and I hit the studio that night and then I made 9-11. It was like battling instead of us, you know what I mean, come putting our hands on each other or, or going somewhere else with it. We went to the booth, we did what we did in the booth and we left it at that. But you know what I mean, again, that was like the beauty in music and hip hop. You could take frustrations that happen on the streets and go to the booth instead of going to the streets with it. But then, in 2014, Tiny Do released a mixtape. And some of the lyrics in that mixtape got him arrested. I opened the door, and when I opened the door, it was like, you know, pandemonium. Get down, get down, get down, get down. Like, say police everywhere with AR-15s and just big guns. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Prosecutors said Brandon was linked to gang crimes and the main evidence that they used against him, his lyrics. What does my music have, what does my artistry have to do with this? Why am I being persecuted for my artistry? Why can't I express myself the way any other artist expresses itself. Why can I express myself the way Johnny Cash expresses himself? Why? Because I'm a black man in a black community. Why can't I talk about, you know, stuff that not only I've seen or stuff that I've heard about, things that go on and things that take place every day in urban communities. Tiny Do served a few months in jail, but the charges were eventually dropped after his case got a lot of media attention. But this issue, it's not over. Rappers like Tiny Do are still being charged for crimes based on their rhymes. I'm Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, essential news from the LA Times. It's Friday, September 23rd, 2022. Today, how rappers have long seen their music used against them in criminal trials and how California could soon limit that practice. And just a heads up, there's bad words in this episode. Erica D. Smith is, like myself, a columnist for the Los Angeles Times. So, Erica, concerns about violent rap lyrics, they're old, almost as old as the genre itself. But what seems to be newer is this phenomenon of prosecutors using lyrics that talk about violence as crimes and then using those lyrics as proof of motivation for alleged crimes that rappers committed. 
Yeah, I mean, rap music has been, lyrics-wise, they've been tied up in prosecutions for quite some time. But basically, you know, there is a concern that violent lyrics, people are taking violent lyrics literally. Back in the day, late 80s, you get NWA's F the Police, which included lots of, you know, lyrics about police and violence against police. If I know Ice Cube the way y'all know Ice Cube, then my motto on the police is, fuck the police! <laughs> people took that literally at the time. The you know, you had, after that, Snoop Dogg's rap song, Murder Was the Case. That was cited or alluded to by prosecutors during his murder trial at, at that time. But, you know, this has been going on for a while, and now we're in a situation where we have violent lyrics that are being brought up in prosecutions as a literal example of somebody supposedly committing a crime. That's what's so infuriating about prosecutors going after rap lyrics. My God, violence and music, they're inseparable. Rock and roll, bluegrass, corridos, punk, violence, violence, violence. And working class audiences love crime and violence in their songs. It was true at the founding of this country, and it's true today. Yeah, I mean, you got to remember the origins of rap, right? I mean, you could talk about, you know, ethnic origins and what island, whatever. But reality is like in the current form, it probably started in New York. And so that, you know, it's during the time it's crack cocaine epidemic. It's coming out of civil rights movement and people are mad. So hip hop, it grew up out of the streets, right? It's people who grew up poor primarily, especially earlier on in the 80s and the 90s, and they just talked about what they knew. It was a time of street violence, over-policing, drugs, you name it. And so people would talk about what they knew, and they would rap about it, and they would rap about run-ins they had with the police. They would rap about people they saw drug dealing. They would rap about people they saw dying of various different things that happened on the streets. And so people rapped about what they saw and what they knew. I mean, you're not going to rap about something you've never seen before in your life. And if you've seen a lot of that, and that is what where rap started, that violence made it into the lyrics. I think for broader American society, for a lot of people, it was like, this is my life. And people who listened to it, they would recognize that. Other people, that was so far removed from what they knew and even to this day. And so they look at it as if you're talking about it, you must be doing it as opposed to just being around it. Okay, I know the answer to this, but I got to ask it. Why is this happening to hip hop artists and not, say, a country music artist? Well, I mean, in a word, I guess racism would be the most simplistic answer. But there was a study done over a series of years where they basically put the same lyrics in front of a group of people. One group was told that the lyrics came from a hip hop song. The other group was told that they came from a country song. And so almost all of the people who thought the lyrics came from a hip-hop song, thought that there should be more restrictions, were concerned about the violence, were those songs that came from what was a country song were not treated in the same way. And so for prosecutors confronting juries, they have a jury that's going to be more sympathetic once they realize that it's a hip-hop artist, most often a Black man, sometimes a Latino dude, you know, and that tends to lead to more convictions. And doing the reporting for this article, I ended up talking to several experts, but one talked a lot about how these cases have been going on for probably a lot longer than most people realize. My research 
broadly looks at the relationship between black creative expression in the United States and law enforcement and the law. One of the experts that I spoke to, a guy named Eric Nilsson, who's an associate professor in Virginia, he talked a lot about how he's been involved in these cases for years. I started digging around and found some high-profile cases at first and then decided I wanted to see how pervasive it was. Did that, was shocked, not only that it was pervasive, but also that nobody was talking about it. The first case he testified in was in Ventura County, and that was years ago, involving a small, like an aspiring rapper out of Ojai that had been accused of murder and whether or not the other evidence, they used his lyrics in that trial. And this professor, Eric Nielsen, he testified as an expert witness as we can't necessarily separate what this person is saying in a song as fact or fiction, but prosecutors wanted to use it as fact and presented it to the jury that way. And this person was eventually convicted, but this happens quite a bit throughout the country. We've seen many cases where there's essentially no credible evidence and prosecutors are still able to secure a conviction based upon rap lyrics. How many cases did Nielsen say he's tracked or worked on? I mean, they found 500 some odd cases going back years. These are artists that are aspiring rappers. You don't have, for the most part, platinum selling rappers. But it was people that were prosecutors that were like looking for ways to prosecute a crime. I, I can't say this with absolute conviction and with scientific backing, but we did observe a precipitous sort of increase right around 2007, 2008. So before I had started working on this in earnest, but as we looked at the numbers and the cases, they shot up. And I think that was largely related to the prevalence of social media. Somebody makes rap music and they say, I shot 10 people and they have 10 bodies. They're like, you, we have other evidence. Maybe not. But we're like, you are the person you said this in a song. Therefore, we're going to prosecute you for these crimes that you said you committed in a rap on, on Instagram or I guess pre-Instagram, but on MySpace or whatever else was around at that time. We've also seen the proliferation of these gang units. And, you know, a lot of times these are police who spend a significant amount of time sitting at their desk watching YouTube and looking at these young kids' videos. Obviously, social media has been great for aspiring artists in some ways, barriers to entry, you can reach an audience, theoretically, of you know, hundreds of millions of people, but it also makes it really easy for the police to misinterpret. What are some of the bigger cases that Nielsen has worked on? Yeah, so I think probably the biggest, which people in Los Angeles and in California would probably remember pretty well, is Draco the Ruler, who's now unfortunately uh, deceased. He was killed late last year, but he, for years before that, was caught up in a case where prosecutors here in Los Angeles had insisted that he was part of a criminal organization and that his lyrics were evidence of crime. And, you know, this is a case that he went back and forth. And eventually it took a defense attorney from San Francisco to kind of come down and work this case and basically put forth a plea deal that he was able to get out and, and for time served. But basically the case was never really resolved where it was clear that he was innocent based on his lyrics, it was always kind of muddled. But I think that's probably one of the more higher profile ones. But there's some others uh, around the country, some smaller aspiring rappers, several in Los Angeles, several in California. So what do these defense attorneys and people like Nielsen say when it comes to these hip hop artists writing these lyrics that do talk about violence? I mean, I think with Eric, who is the, the expert um, on this, has testified in several different trials and has given consulting for several others and also written a book. I mean, he says... 
basically what's obvious is that, you know, rap lyrics are expressions of art and that they cannot necessarily be taken literally. And, you know, sometimes before the juries, that actually works. Sometimes it doesn't, but it's almost, according to him, he says it's almost sure not to work if you don't have somebody there during the trial saying, we're not going to take these lyrics seriously. A lot of times juries will actually go ahead and convict. The vast majority of prosecutors are introducing lyrics as evidence of some underlying crime. So they're charged in a stabbing and then they'll find lyrics and maybe they mention stabbing. And so that's one and one equals two. Now, can I say for sure that the rap lyrics were the only thing that caused these convictions to occur? No, but patterns emerge. And when you see case after case that's weak and should never result you know, in a guilty verdict, still resulting in that verdict, it's hard not to imagine that the lyrics have exerted a significant influence on the jury. You know, that's one of the things that he says. I mean, the defense is along the lines of something similar, trying to prove why we're taking these lyrics into consideration in court. What is the basis of it? Is it relevant? That sort of thing. I think the narrative often within the media, certainly within law enforcement, is that hip hop, you know, rap music promotes, perpetuates, causes violence. The real story, the narrative of hip hop from its early beginnings all the way to today is that it's done far more good for communities than harm, especially communities that where there aren't many opportunities, you know, for upward mobility. We'll have more after the break. So, Erica, if defense attorneys are saying that rap is freedom of expression in court, then what are prosecutors trying to argue when they use lyrics as evidence for their cases? Well, they're picking out, cherry-picking specific lyrics that people may have said. Um, You know, I I mentioned NWA's F the Police. You know, Snoop's murder was the case. I mean, they're they're looking, combing through, best I can tell, and best, you know, Eric and some of the other experts that have studied this field can tell they're combing through songs, and they're combing through YouTube videos, and they're combing through even social media posts for, quote-unquote, evidence of crimes committed. But oftentimes, it's evidence of gang affiliation. So, you know, we have gang enhancement charges. And so people who might have been sent away for X number of years, so for supposedly, you know, gun possession or something else, if there's a gang enhancement slapped on top of it, then it's going to be a lot longer. And so a lot of times they'll say, this label you're a part of, it's actually evidence of a criminal organization and you are part of a gang. Therefore, we're going to not only file these charges against you, we're going to do it with gang enhancement. So you spend a lot more time behind bars. I still can't believe over 500 cases that Nielsen has tracked. So how has the recording industry responded to all of this? You know, until recently, the record industry hasn't said a whole lot. They've let it play out. For the most part, it's been mostly aspiring rappers, people who aren't household names. But in the last couple of years, we've seen more cases involving rappers that people follow, people who sell plenty of records, people who've won Grammys, been nominated for Grammys. Probably the most uh, high-profile case that's going on right now is involving two rappers out of Georgia, Young Thug and Gunna, who have been sitting in jail for several months now, charged with, in the criminal racketeering statute in the state of Georgia, it's a sprawling indictment with all sorts of charges on it. But basically the bottom line is that 
prosecutors allege that their record label is actually a crime organization and that Young Thug is the founder of said crime organization. And they've used his lyrics to prove it along with music videos with like logos and the word slime, which is a reference to a street gang. And so it's all kind of conflated. The trial is not supposed to start till next year. They were recently denied bond again. So they're going to be sitting in jail until this trial. So the record industry in this past year has pushed for more legislation in response to this. So once it hits their bottom line, that's when the record industry starts to care. But what exactly are they doing, though, to try to fight this issue? Well, I mean, they are lobbying, frankly, lawmakers and talking about this. It's taken Eric Nielsen, the expert I interviewed. I mean, it took him a little bit by surprise that the industry got so involved. But others who are not necessarily record industry executives, but high up folks like Jay-Z and other people have also gotten involved as well. And so we've seen a push for legislation at the federal level and at the level of multiple states. More after the break. So, Erica, you wrote about all of this in a column recently, and specifically you focused on California, where there's a bill in the state capitol that is supporting stopping the prosecution of folks just based on their lyrics. What's the bill and who's behind it? So the bill is Assembly Bill 2799. It was um, authored by a Los Angeles Democrat member of the Assembly, Reggie Jones-Sawyer. Our next speaker is a fierce leader in the fight for criminal justice reform in the state assembly. He introduced the bill earlier this year after having some conversations with some record industry executives about this topic. I'm Reggie Jones-Sawyer. I represent South L.A. He was not aware of the fact that so many people had been prosecuted for their lyrics. I mean, he kind of... From what he told me, he is aware, sort of, but not to the level and the extent that it happened. So he introduced this bill, it it passed, and it's now sitting on Governor Gavin Newsom's desk. Yeah, you hear about the big names, but when you hear again, just that so many folks have done it, that's, I'm sure that really strikes people. Yeah, and he particularly, as a Black man, was very unnerved by the fact that so many Black and Latino men seem to be caught up in this process. Has Newsom addressed it at all, like the issue? No, as far as I know. I mean, it's unknown whether he's going to sign it. Um, Nobody really wants to speculate on what the governor's going to do. I would hope that he signs it. That was my push in my column. So hopefully he will. What happens if Newsom signed? Like, how does the law then change? So right now, it's kind of a free-for-all for prosecutors. They can kind of use them whenever they want to, these lyrics. But if this bill passes, prosecutors would have to show uh, in a pretrial hearing away from the jury how relevant they are to the case. And so it would be up to a judge to admit those lyrics. Is California the only state that has a bill like this right now so far in the legislative process? We are the only state that's actually gotten it through the legislature to the governor. The state of New York has introduced a bill as well, which uh, has stalled at the moment. It passed one house of the legislature, did not pass a second house. Unclear whether it's going to come back. I think there's definitely some momentum to push it to come back. But right now, we are the state that's the furthest ahead. Also, There is a bill in Congress that, as many things in Congress do, stalled. Uh, So right now, California is kind of out on its own, which is, I guess, how we usually like it. Finally, Erica, California is always, it's almost a cliche on this show. We're always leading the way for the rest of the United States. What would be the symbolism if California passed this or what would be sort of the way forward for the rest of the country? 
well, what it would mean for the rest of the country, I think, is hopefully we'd be setting an example, like, which we always try to do. But I think that also there's just this East Coast, West Coast rivalry about who's the home of hip hop, New York huh. or L.A., and, you know, I think it does mean something that we are the first to kind of really protect hip hop artists, rappers in this way. But, you know, I don't want us to be the only. I think obviously we see what's happening in Georgia. We see plenty of cases in New York. We should not be the only state looking at lyrics in this way. And not just lyrics, but all creative works as well. So I'm hopeful that what we do here sets an example. This is the kind of East Coast, West Coast rap rivalry we do need. <laughs> ATL, step up. <laughs> Erica, thank you so much for this conversation. Thanks for having me on, Gustavo. And as for Tiny Do, by the way, he says even though his rap lyrics got him arrested, he's not going to give up on hip hop anytime soon. I love hip hop. From Jay-Z sitting at his house, working on a craft. Now he has a billion dollar company that he runs. It's, it's amazing. And it just lets me like, I gotta keep working. When I thought about giving up, now I'm just like, nah, I got work to do. Whether it's me in front of the camera or somebody else, or me just helping somebody else get in front of the camera. I just, I wanna be a part of hip hop. I wanna be a part of everything that it has to offer from the clothing to the movies, to the music. I wanna be a part of it, period. And that's it for this episode of The Times, essential news from the LA Times. Ashley Brown and Shannon Lynn were the jefas on this episode and Mike Heflin mixed and mastered it. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasali, and David Toledo and Ashley Brown. Our editorial assistant is Melvin Amato. Our engineers are Mario Diaz, Mark Nieto, and Mike Heflin. Our editor is Kinsey Moreland. Our executive producers are Hasmin Aguilera, Shani Hilton, and Hiba El Orbani. And our theme music is by Andrew Eatman. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back Monday with all the news in this madre. Gracias. <laughs>